0: exercise and athletics and everything, this, this is Super Bowl weekend, and so it's a pretty pretty big weekend for a lot of people, and um, one of the things that's so amazing when you get to an event like the Super Bowl is to see the platform that athletes have in our society. There's an incredible platform, and a lot of athletes use it for things that aren't very positive, but there are a number of athletes that are, that are doing what they can to honor God with their platform. their platform. We're going to show you a video here in a moment of an athlete. He's a quarterback for the University of Texas, Colt McCoy. And uh, for the last four years, he's been the quarterback for the University of Texas. And this a couple of weeks ago, they were actually in the championship game against the University of Alabama. The game didn't go the way he wanted to. He, was, he couldn't play. After about five plays, he got injured. But what I want to do is show you this video clip that I want to introduce some friends to you. So go ahead and just listen to what he says about not being able to play um, after he got hurt in this big game.
1: Texas quarterback Colt McCoy. Colt, what was it like for you to watch this game, your
0: your last game in a Longhorn uniform, from the sideline?
2: I, I I love this game. I have a passion for this game. I've done everything I can to contribute to my team, and we made it this far. And, and it's unfortunate I didn't get to play. I, you know, I, I would have given. I'd have given everything I had to be out there with my team, but congratulations to Alabama. I love the way our team fought. Uh, Garrett Gilbert stepped in and played as good as he could play. He he did a tremendous job, and uh, I always give God the glory. I never question why things happen the way they do. Uh, God is in control of my life, Uh, and I know that nothing else, I'm standing on the rock.
0: Yeah, it's pretty incredible, isn't it? I always think it's funny when athletes say something like that because the person giving the interview has no idea how to respond. You know, it's really funny. But I want to introduce you to some people. And um, as you see athletes like that, and you hear testimonies. There's always people behind the scenes that are working with athletes. I want to introduce you to one of the most faithful men in ministry that that I've ever met. Um, His name is Jeff Pryor, his wife Nancy. They're here in Fort Collins. Jeff actually discipled me when I first became a follower of Christ at CSU, and he works with student-athletes all up and down the front range, but I just want him to share a little bit of what he does and then introduce his bodyguard.
2: (laughs) Thanks, Reza. Well, it's great to be here. Uh, We're probably your most uh, local missionaries uh, living a mile away, and uh, we really appreciate uh, Timberline Church. It's a great church. We love the staff here and just how they partner in our community and It's great to be involved here. And uh, as Reza said, we work with Athletes in Action, the athletic ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ. We've been here 16 years uh, working uh, with uh, some of the colleges here on the front range. And uh, our whole uh, goal would be our mission statement of Athletes in Action would be to trust God to uh, build a movement that will impact our athletic department, our campus, our city, and our world for Christ. And uh, kind of breaking that down, three parts of what we want to see happen would, one, be to connect lost people to Christ. To, uh, to be there to help people understand what it means to be a Christian. This past uh, Thursday, uh, I was at UNC and meeting with a wrestler, and uh, this is the first time we had met him through a, uh, a contact, and uh, we went through the Four Spiritual Law booklet with him. And at the end of the booklet, uh, I could tell he was really paying attention. He was really engaged with us, and uh, we asked him if he had ever received Christ like that, and he said, well, I'm not sure. And we said on a scale of 0 to 10, or 1 to 10, 1 being not sure, five to seven being kind of sure, and ten being, I know Christ is in my life. Where would you fall? He said, probably a seven. So we went through uh, some verses on assurance of salvation, and we asked him, when, when do you feel like it would be the best time to ask Christ in your life? You know, you don't have to do it here if you'd rather do it at home. You know, the, the point is, don't put it off. Do it soon. And he said, I'd like to do it right there. So right in the union at UNC, he, uh, he accepted Christ into his life. And that's, that's why we do what we do. The second thing would be, life-changing discipleship. We want to see athletes be discipled and grow in their faith. And, you know, we just try to be in their lives to encourage that process. To We spend a lot of time with the athletes we work with, taking them through the basic follow-ups of the Christian life and being their friend. And then lastly, spiritual multiplication. We're trusting God to, uh, to have our leaders multiply their lives into the lives of other athletes that they work with. And Adam Seymour is one of them. Adam is our uh, tight end. Uh, he's a fourth-year junior majoring in construction management, uh, play tight ends from Rancho Cuc- Cucamonga, that's it right now, <laughs> California, and uh, uh, he just switched positions, and uh, Adam's got a neat story he wants to share
3: with you. Thank you. Isn't it just great seeing somebody like Colt McCoy up there just sharing the word of God with that many people? I mean, that's just amazing. <laughs> um, as I watched that video, I think a lot, what are some obstacles in our life that stops us from sharing the word with people. I mean, it's easy for someone like him, you know, you have a million people watching you on TV. I mean, that's a pretty easy stage to use. But um, recently I came across, you know, that same problem. I was like, who do I share the gospel with? And I really prayed on it a lot, and um, God kept telling me um, the defense of CSU. And for those of you who don't know a lot about football, I mean, it's one team, but it's really two teams within a team. It's like an offense and a defense, and we don't always – get along that well. <laughs> so um, I was just like, how am I going to do this? You know, um, I'm hitting these guys every day. They're hitting me every day. I mean, how am I going to share the word with them? And um, I just prayed on a lot. I was like, God, just give me away. And um, I got back from Christmas break, and my coach called me up to his office, and he's like, Adam, I got something to tell you. And I was like, what's that, coach? He's like, you're playing defense, for sure. So <laughs> um, and I was just like, there, there's my platform right there. That, That's where he wants me to be, and that's where he wants me to share his word. So it's just great how he just creates opportunities like that in your life to to allow his will to be done. Yeah,
0: it's pretty amazing. I've had the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. It's been been fun watching Adam grow. Um, I've seen him grow this way, and then I've also seen him grow in his faith, and I remember him as a freshman coming in, and it's been really neat. So, guys, if you just join me, let's just pray for these guys and for the things that they're doing that we'll never see on TV or anything. Father, we thank you so much for Jeff and Nancy Pryor, and I thank you for their ministry and for their faithfulness and for the way that they serve and the way that they love you. We thank you for them. And, Lord, for Adam, I thank you for this man of God that you have, that you have divinely placed on campus at CSU and within the athletic department. Thanks for his education. Thanks for his impact. Thanks for the way that he Um, wants to be a light for you within his team. And so thank you so much for these men. Continue to use them. Thank you for Nancy and uh, for this ministry of Athletes in Action. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Let's say thanks to them again. Bless you, buddy. Awesome. Wow. It is hard to be a Christian and play defense. Let me tell you, those guys are mean. Uh, If you have more questions about Athletes in Action, they have a table out in the mall. Stop by there and uh, get your questions answered. It's It's a great ministry and we're grateful that it's a part of the CSU campus as well as Northern Colorado. Well, how many of you went to a grocery store yesterday? It's like worse than Thanksgiving, isn't it? The day before Super Bowl Sunday was nuts. How many of you are either hosting or attending a Super Bowl party this afternoon? All right. If you're not raising your hand, look around. You may have some options here. How many of you? How many of you are gonna maybe like watch a Hallmark movie this afternoon? You couldn't care less, okay? I see. I understand. Super Bowl is like a. It's it's a. It's an American tradition, and Super Bowl parties are a part of our culture here. Uh, Not just Super Bowl parties, but dinner parties are a part of our culture. A lot happens in American society, around meals. Uh, I remember the first first dinner party my wife and I ever hosted at our house. We had been married about five months, and we decided to invite our pastor and his wife to come over to our house for dinner. And we were absolutely stressed out, nervous about this meal. We wanted it to go just right. We lived in this tiny little house. It was a freestanding house that was only 500 square feet. So, if you can imagine, one bedroom house, tiny little house in a pretty rough part of Colorado Springs, that's where we lived. And, uh, we, uh, my wife today is an amazing cook. Back then, not so much. And so, we were nervous and I was horrible. I couldn't cook anything. And, and so we, we planned all day long. We prepared for this meal. We cleaned the house, which that actually didn't take very long. We could, <laughs> We could plug the vacuum into one outlet and hit the whole house in the front yard, too. So it was just little. Uh, So we cleaned the house, and and then we started to work on the meal. I can't even remember exactly what we served. It may not have been recognizable what we served. Um, But one of the things we decided to do was we would make homemade ice cream because someone gave us a homemade ice cream maker as a wedding gift. We never used it, and so we thought, let's make homemade ice cream. So we're reading the instructions, which is not a good idea to do it the first time when you're having people over for dinner, but we did, and my, we were getting late. It was getting close to the time they were supposed to come over, and so I said, why don't you start, I'll go get cleaned up, and then I'll come and take over, and you go get cleaned up. Well, somewhere in the transfer of making the ice cream, we left out one ingredient, sugar. We discovered that sugar is a very important ingredient when it comes to homemade ice cream. Otherwise, it tastes a lot like snow that you pick up from the backyard. So no sugar makes it into our homemade ice cream. We serve a salad that ended up having rotten tomatoes on it, and uh, then sugar-free ice cream that tasted like snow. And then we left and found another church right after that (laughs) dinner. No, not really. Our pastor was very gracious to us, thankfully. Uh, and hopefully we've gotten a little better at that over the years. But the interesting thing is that dinner parties were also a big part of the culture in which Jesus lived and walked on this earth. Um, first century Palestine, eating together was a very big deal. And I want to talk to us today about a story where a man invites Jesus to his house for dinner. Talk about being stressed out. Imagine inviting Jesus over for dinner. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. And verse 36, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. Let's just read this story. It says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, we need to pause here so we can understand what's happening. This is a very interesting story because a Pharisee is inviting Jesus over for dinner. Just a couple of verses before this, Jesus is talking about how there are those, particularly Pharisees, who are calling him a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, why are they calling him that? Largely because Jesus eats with them. I mean, every tax collector or sinner that invites Jesus over to their house for a dinner party, Jesus says yes. He always says yes, and he goes. And so the Pharisees are criticizing Jesus. In fact, we read later that actually their criticism was this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Because in that culture, to eat with someone, it was a statement of valuing them and accepting them. And Jesus did that with tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees didn't like it, but now here's a Pharisee inviting him over for dinner. The Pharisees were a close-knit group of people. They considered themselves the guardians of the law, the enforcers of everyone obeying the law. There's only about 7,000 of them for like 2 million Jews. And, and one of them invites Jesus over. They are opposed to Jesus. They're opposed to John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus. And so this guy, we find out his name is Simon. Simon invites Jesus over and Jesus, knowing all of this, says yes. It's almost like Jesus is a college student. Because a college student, it doesn't matter if it's a Super Bowl party or a Tupperware party. If there's free food, they're going, right? <laughs> and it's like Jesus, if there's food, Jesus is showing up. Not, not so much because he's into food, but he is really into people. And and so Jesus goes to this party and he gives us a picture of something that I think is true about Jesus then and is true about Jesus today. If you're taking notes, jot this down. And that is that Jesus seems to go where he's invited. Jesus goes where he's invited. It doesn't matter if it is a tax collector or sinner or a Pharisee. It doesn't matter if it's a Muslim or a Hindu or an atheist or a Christian. If you invite Jesus in, Jesus comes. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity might be. It doesn't matter your income, your education, your social circle. When you invite Jesus into your life, into your world, Jesus comes. Now there's consequences to him coming because he won't leave you the same. But if you invite him, he will come. If you invite him into your marriage, he will come if you invite him into your family, if you invite him into your past and your pain and your brokenness or your success and your future, whatever it is, Jesus tends to go where he's invited. And so Simon, the Pharisee, invites Jesus over and Jesus decides to go. Now we don't know for sure what Simon's motives were. But probably, most likely, he has a sinister plot in his His motivation to invite Jesus over. The Pharisees were opposed to Jesus. And probably what Simon was doing was hoping to engage him in a conversation where Jesus would trip up and he would say something that would be proof that Jesus is not what everybody else is saying that he is. That he's not really the prophet everyone's calling him and to trap him and and hopefully render him a blasphemer against God so that his message would be discounted. Now we draw that conclusion for, for a few different reasons. One of one of the reasons is because of the way jesus is treated when he comes over Now there are certain customs in our day and in our culture that are associated with having someone over to your house I went to a dinner party last weekend with some wonderful friends of ours And and when I arrived they had made sure that the light was on over the door so that I could see my way to the door and when I approached the door, before I even reached the door to knock, they opened the door because they were waiting for me. And the host greeted me with a handshake and then a hug. And the first question he asked me was, can I take your coat? And so I took off my coat and gave it to him. And he took it back where coats go that nobody knows. They just go somewhere <laughs> back there. And then they come back when it's time to leave. All right? And so he, he served me in that way. And what he was doing was he was saying, you are welcome in my home. You are a guest that I honor and serve in my home. When I came further into the house, his wife was there, the other host. She greeted me with a hug and she asked me the question, would you like something to drink? Now those are very common customs in our culture that simply say, you're welcome here. You are our guest. Let me serve you. Well, there were customs in Jesus' day for dinner parties as well. They're a little different, but customs nonetheless, and none of them happened for Jesus. For example, when a guest would arrive to your house, part of the custom was to greet them, not with a handshake, but with a kiss. How many of you are glad that that custom has changed for us? You germ freaks, you would die back then, all right? But back then, that was what happened. You just greet with a kiss. Well, Simon didn't greet Jesus with a kiss. Another thing they would do is they would either have a servant prepared or at least provide the water for a guest to wash their feet because they had walked on the dusty roads of Palestine and so it was part of the custom of saying we welcome you we honor you by providing for the washing of a guest's feet well that didn't happen for Jesus another thing that would happen is is that they would anoint a guest with olive oil on their on their head and sometimes behind their neck and all that was was, was a refreshing fragrance and sensation That in the heat of the day, that would just be a refreshing sense to have that oil on their head. Well, that didn't happen for Jesus either. So we suspect that the motives are not completely pure here. And Simon inviting him over. But Jesus comes anyway, and it says that he reclines at the table, which was the way they ate. There were these like lower couch pillow type things. They would recline with their head towards the table, leaning on their left elbow. And then the rest of their body would go out behind them. So his feet were behind him. And then they would eat with their right hand. doesn't sound very comfortable, but that's how they would do it. All right? Now, they are about to be interrupted by an unusual party crasher here. Okay? Someone is going to crash the party that we'll see here. Now, that's not all that unusual in that day and age, in that culture. It's not like today where, you know, we, we... you have deadbolts and chains and put pit bulls in front of the doors, so that no one wanted guests can come in. All right. And, and we don't have party crashers, I guess, except for the White House. They apparently have a problem with party crashers. But in that day, it wasn't that unusual. In, in that day, people would wander in. Even beggars would just come into the house. And oftentimes, passersby would come into the house. They wouldn't approach the table, but they would sit in the back and just listen to the conversation, especially a dinner party like this where a rabbi was invited to be the guest. All right? However, the, the party crasher we're about to see is a very unusual uninvited guest. Look with me at verse 37. Verse 37 says, When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town Learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, what makes her such an unusual uninvited guest is first of all, she's a woman. That would be unusual. But secondly, she has a known reputation in the town for being a sinful person. For living a sinful life. In in that culture, that almost always meant that she was a prostitute. Almost always. So here is this woman who apparently has encountered Jesus before this dinner party. And that encounter with Jesus changed her life forever. We don't know exactly when it was or how it happened, but it changed her. And so she sought out Jesus. And she discovers that he is in the absolute worst possible place for her. The home of a Pharisee. Now isn't it interesting that someone who is seeking God, the worst possible place for God to be is in the home of someone who is supposed to represent God. And yet that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is at a Pharisee's house, but she doesn't care. It's unthinkable that a woman with her reputation would go into a Pharisee's house, but she doesn't care. She has to get to Jesus. So she comes through the door, she comes into the room, and it says that she walks up behind him at his feet. Now remember, because he's reclined, and he's leaning towards the table, so his feet are behind him. So she comes up behind him at his feet, and she loses it. She begins to weep. From the depth of her heart, in fact, Martin Luther called it heart water. It's as though water, tears, from the depth of her heart gushed up through her face, out her tear ducts, and began to roll down her cheeks and drip onto Jesus' feet. She's weeping, and somewhere she notices that the common courtesy of washing his feet had not been taken care of, and her tears are dripping on those feet, so she lets down her hair, which was another no-no in that culture, it was immodest for a woman to let her hair down in that culture in public, but she didn't care. And she takes her hair and she begins to wipe those dusty feet with her hair as her, as her tears wet them. And then it says that she kissed his feet. Jesus later uses a word. The Greek word he uses speaks of an intensity that gives us a picture that she was clinging to his feet and repeatedly kissing his feet. And then she took an alabaster jar of perfume. This is not the olive oil that they would normally anoint a guest. This is very expensive perfume. Some women in that day and in that culture would actually wear an alabaster jar around their neck with like a, like a strap of leather. And, and they were even allowed to carry it on the Sabbath, which almost nothing was allowed to be done on the Sabbath. But they let them carry their perfume. Apparently the men said, all right, we've got to pick our battles. We're not going to tell a woman she can't carry a perfume. I don't know how that discussion went. But... She has this alabaster jar of perfume, very expensive perfume. She takes it and she snaps the lid and then she pours that perfume out on his feet. And in what must have been just dead silence, the aroma, the fragrance of her love fills that room. And something very interesting happens. Look at verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So Simon thinks to himself, this proves Jesus is not a prophet. If Jesus were a prophet, he, he would have been discerning enough to know that the woman touching him is a sinful woman and he would stop her. This proves he's not a prophet. Now this is humorous to me because not only did Jesus know exactly who she was, Jesus also knew what Simon was thinking. And so Jesus says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon's about to get blasted, and he's just naive. He goes, tell me, teacher. So Jesus Jesus tells him a story. Look at him, verse 41. Here's the story. The two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned around or turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour put oil on my head but she has poured perfume on my feet therefore i tell you her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much but he who has been forgiven little loves little then jesus said to her your sins are forgiven the other guests began to say among themselves who is this who even forgives sins jesus said to the woman your faith has saved you go in peace now if simon was looking to trap jesus he's got his ammunition now Because for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven, is blasphemy. Unless, he's God. Because only God can forgive sins. And so he makes a powerful statement about who he is. But I want us to look at just some simple things from this story that apply to our lives as well. The first thing, if you're taking notes, is that Jesus says there is a direct correlation between forgiveness and love. There's a direct correlation between the depth of forgiveness received and the magnitude of love expressed. When I was a pastor in Colorado Springs, I remember a young couple who got connected to our church who had been meth addicts for a number of years. They got connected to our church because we threw a party for our neighborhood. And it was out in a park and it was totally free and we invited them all to come and, and, and it was this huge party. And they got connected, and they met some people, and it eventually led to them coming to church. And and over time, Jesus did something really amazing and incredible in their hearts. They came to know him and to trust him for the forgiveness of sin. I had the privilege a couple months later of baptizing both of them in one of our baptism nights. And and, uh, not long after that, they invited my wife and I over to their house. Now, they also uh, lived in a rough part of Colorado Springs. They lived in the bottom level of a fourplex. And so we went to their house, we walked into the room, and we noticed the only thing hanging on the walls in their living room, there were two things over their couch. And they told us that they had never put anything on their walls before because the way they lived as addicts, they would move into a place until they were evicted, and then in the middle of the night they would move somewhere else. They would just leave. And so it didn't make sense to put anything on the walls, but it was different now, and they had put something on the walls. Hanging over their couch in their living room, were their baptism certificates that they had framed. And they were hanging over the couch, the centerpiece of their living room. We sat down on that couch and they brought us out two photo albums, the only two photo albums they had. One of them was of their wedding that they had at a casino in Las Vegas. The other wedding album was filled with pictures of their baptism night. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. They had been forgiven much. The woman in this story had been forgiven much. And the result was this reservoir of love that came out of them for Jesus. We also see in this story that, that everything flowed out of that reservoir of love. Again, if you're taking notes, out of love flows our worship. That's what we see in this woman. What she did was her expression of worship, and that worship flowed out of the deep love in her heart because of the realization of forgiveness. And that really is the heart of worship anyway. Worship is our response to who God is and what God has done. And it flows out of this understanding of forgiveness that creates a reservoir of gratitude and love. And that's why when you come in here, you may see people with their hands lifted to heaven while they sing. Maybe even a tear coursing down their cheek or someone who might even kneel down on their knees on the floor. It's because of the realization of forgiveness that created this reservoir of gratitude and love. And it has to get out somehow. And so it's expressed by lifting our hands, by singing, by worship, by bowing. We sang that song here in the live auditorium earlier. I can't bow low enough. I can't sing loud enough. I can't reach high enough to get out this This love that is inside of me because of what Jesus has done. That's why last Sunday night, hundreds of people came here just to express that love through the wonderful gift of music in worship. Out of that reservoir of love springs our worship. That's why it's so silly for Christians to fuss and fight over stylistic expressions of worship. Because as soon as we do that, we make it about us. It's about what I want and what I like. And it's for me when it's not supposed to be about you or me. It's about Him. And it's just the overflow of this reservoir of love in our hearts. That's our worship to God. Not only worship, but our service flows out of that love. Out of our love for God flows our service. This woman washed the feet of Jesus. She was so compelled by her love for Jesus that she sought to serve Him. And the need that was immediately before him were those dusty feet. And so with her tears and her hair, she served him. She washed those feet. Because it's out of that love that our service flows. And whenever our service to God or our service to other people comes from a place other than that reservoir of gratitude and love, it gets convoluted. And our motivations get all twisted. And usually, ultimately, eventually, people are hurt and not helped. But when it comes from that reservoir of love, it's different. That's also where our sacrifice comes from. From that reservoir of love. We talked about the expensive perfume that she poured on Jesus' feet. Paul said in Romans that our true spiritual act of worship is the offering of ourselves as a living sacrifice. And it all comes from this reservoir of gratitude and love. Now, there's one last thing I want to bring to us before we land this plane, all right? In the story, Jesus told to Simon to make his point. Jesus said there's two guys who borrowed money. One of the guys owes 500 denarii. One denarius was the equivalent of one day's pay. So this guy owes basically a year and a half worth of pay. That's the amount that he owes. The other guy owed 50. That would be just short of two months worth of pay that he owes to the money lender. But here's the key in the story. Jesus says, neither, neither borrower, that's the last thing in your notes, could pay back the debt. Neither borrower could pay back the debt. Now let me ask you a question. Is it better to drown in 50 feet of water or 500 feet of water? It's better not to drown. Right? Do this for me on your, on your notes there. At the top of your sheet somewhere, write, write the word God. Because God, we know, is, is perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. Now at the bottom, at the bottom of your sheet, you can, write, you can draw a line or you can write the name that you associate with evil. And maybe it would be Satan that you would write there. Whatever you... Be careful what name you write there. But when you think of the opposite spectrum of God, what goes there? And then draw a line that creates a continuum between God and and evil. Now, where would you place yourself on this continuum? Most of us. Most of us would not say, well, I think I'm the epitome of evil. Most of us wouldn't do that, Okay? Hopefully, none of us would have the audacity to say, well, I think I'm pretty much equal with God. We wouldn't say that. So somewhere down here, we make an X. The story of the prodigal son illustrates this really well. We don't, take time, we don't have time to unpack the whole story. But the bottom line is there's two sons in that story that are lost. There's the younger son who takes the inheritance, openly, blatantly rebels against the father, goes out and spends it all on wild living. And then there's the son who stayed at home and did everything that his father asked him to do, but whose heart was just as lost as his little brother. Now, in the story, you can see pretty quickly that the little brother comes to a point. It says to the end of himself, he probably drew his ex way down here. We know that the elder brother would have drawn his ex way up here. The point is, wherever you perceive your ex to be, there's a gap. And what you need to understand is that that gap is insurmountable by you. You are powerless, incapable to reconcile yourself to God. And so Jesus came and gave His life, paid a price we could never pay in order to bridge that gap so that you and I could be reconciled to a holy, righteous God. That's what Jesus did. And when you come to recognize that, when I come to recognize the depth of forgiveness that I've experienced because of Jesus' sacrifice, it will create within us a reservoir of gratitude and of love that will gush its way out of our lives in worship and service and sacrifice to our great and awesome God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? As we close in prayer, I just want to ask you. If you're here this morning. And you would say, maybe for the first time you've come to realize that gap in your life. And you've been on a journey. God's been drawing you and speaking to your heart. And you've come this morning to a moment of faith. And you would say, I want to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. And be reconciled to the God of who knows everything about you and loves you anyway. I want to give my life to him. I don't want to embarrass you, but with heads bowed and eyes closed, I would just ask you, would you raise your hand if that's you right now? Just raise it up and say, that's me. Thank you so much for being honest. Thanks for your vulnerability. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Maybe you're here today and you've come to that point in your life, but the truth is, for whatever reason, maybe difficult circumstances, maybe your own self-centeredness, you have ceased to be captivated by Jesus, by who He is and what He's done, and your life has become so dry and empty spiritually. And you would say, would you pray for me that I would be recaptivated by Jesus? By who he is and what he's done. And that the love in my heart would grow to be a reservoir that spills out of me in worship and service and sacrifice. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Thank you. Thank you so many of you. Thanks for being so honest. One last thing and then we're going to pray. If you're here and you would say, you know, there's an area of my life that God is pinpointing. That I just need to invite him into and I haven't I've tried to do it on my own. I've tried to solve it myself Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your business. Maybe it's your home Maybe it's your past that has such a grip on your life But god is just bringing into your heart a very specific area and all he's saying is just invite me in Because if you invite him he'll come If that's you would you just raise your hand and say pray for me? I know that area. God speaking it to me. Thank you. Thank you for being so honest. God, you see the hands that went up all over this room. Hands that are going up to you. Trusting and believing that you are a God who goes where he's invited. And we invite you. We welcome you into our lives. Some of us, for the very first time, turning away from living for ourselves and surrendering to you as king over all of our lives. Lord, for... For some of us, we're saying, recaptivate my heart. Grow that love inside of me so that I become a worshiper, a server, someone who has laid it all down for the sake of Jesus and his mission in the world. We invite you into our home, our marriage, our lives, our past, all of it. There is nothing in our lives that is off limits to you, oh God. We welcome you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our ushers are going to come, and we're going to It's more than just a song that we sing. We adore you. We so deeply love you. And we ask our greatest desire this morning is that you would let the reservoir of love grow to the point in our lives that it cannot be contained. That it will spill out all through our lives in our worship, our service, and our sacrifice to you. Let it be so of this church, God. We love you. And we thank you for the way that you've loved us. And together everyone said, Amen. Amen. If you need prayer in your life, in both auditoriums, we have a prayer team that will meet you at the front. They would love to pray for you. Please come forward if you would like prayer. Otherwise, God bless you. Thanks for letting me speak into your life. Have a wonderful day and drive safe going home.